Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm uh, joined by Joe Valtellini. Happy to have you here, Joe. We've got some great guests on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You're at the gym, so it's uh, it's good I'm to see your gym. face. I'm at the gym. I got my background, lots of bazooka logos and names everywhere, but uh, it was good. We had a good cleanup. We're getting ready to get back. I'm excited to get back, so... Let's open up the martial arts gyms as fast as possible. Yeah, so how has that affected you? I mean, I know that a lot of different people that are that own gyms, a lot of these gyms are closing down. It's, it's difficult times for gym owners. And, of course, with social distancing, uh, doing kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, yeah. Muay Thai, uh, wrestling, those aren't really uh, very good options for the general public right now if you want to follow the health guidelines. Well, I think um, it's actually really possible to do it. I um with martial arts, especially kickboxing, you can shadow box, you can learn technique off the floor. There's different drills you can do. You don't get that sparring element or the drilling, but there's still so many things you can practice and work. Um, we installed eight new bags, so we'll almost have 20 bags available if they allow us with social distancing. If we can't hit any equipment, because I think that's the, the talk right now. Um, we heard rumors that the gyms would open up uh, about a week ago. And within that week, they said no one could use any equipment at all. So we're like, okay, all we basically have to do is like they're doing at that Trinity Park there, build circles, people come in, they go to their assigned circle, there'll be cleaning bottles, cleaning utensils. Um, so we can actually run at least 20 people in this gym with all six feet apart in a really properly run martial arts program. So I just need the opportunity to start and then uh, I can show this is where I think I excel because of my teaching background. Like I'm very creative with my teaching, so I'll be fine. Have you been doing private lessons for people during this time? Uh, no, I've, uh, I've actually just done uh, a lot of gyms have kind of called me on to do Zoom calls. So I get to talk to their members, hangouts, uh, kind of like Zoom hangouts we've been doing, which has been fun. Cool. So Indeed. still getting to do it. It's just really hard. Uh, I'm not a big fan of doing the Zoom classes and stuff. I'm doing it with my own members, but uh, I haven't opened it up to the public yet. And, of course, there's all of your YouTube videos, so if people want to get That's instructional it. martial arts, years Joseph Baltolini on YouTube. Years, years of it. I've been preparing for this quarantine watching for three years now, so go in and watch everything. You can literally um, – the response has been amazing. People are literally learning um, high-level kickboxing and mixed martial arts from home, so – no excuse not to keep learning. So if I want to learn, say, like a check hook, I can look up Joseph Beltolini check hook and there will be a video? Um, check hooks, you have changing levels with left hooks, proper left hooks, variations of left hooks. Um, you'll learn that in many ways. But if you watch the whole channel, yes, you will get an understanding of what a check hook is. Absolutely. So but not exactly. There has been no video on the check hook, but I'm going to write it down now and I'm going to make one. <laughs> right for you. The well, next I, one is I've already, I've already promoted it, so it's got to happen now. That's it. It's got to happen now. Check hooks. That's it. <laughs> Woodley, Woodley versus Burns this past weekend. Were you surprised at how things turned out? Uh, I actually was. I actually was. I, I think uh, Tyron Woodley, he came out with a lot of confidence. Um, and you asked me, um, you asked me, I remember, it was Collision 2, that Rico versus Botter fight. We did a Skype call from there. And uh, you asked me who I thought was going to be one of the best legit contenders back for Kamara Usman. And I said, I thought Woodley was going to do it. I thought even though he lost, he had that mindset. Um, he's very confident in, in his wording and his preparation, going to Thailand, preparing for it. But, yeah, I was shocked. I thought Gilbert Burns fought right, fought hard, fought with confidence. Um, that Henry Hooft hard kickboxing style paid off. I, I think he did great. Um, so, yeah, I was shocked. 
Um, I would, I would, I definitely had Woodley winning that one. Well, I, th- I think the thing that uh, I like the most about Woodley. What say you? Yeah, like what Woodley said after the fight, I thought was really interesting because he didn't blame, he didn't make any excuses. He said, "I, I was confident. I, I had, I felt good during the fight. It wasn't yeah. like the Usman fight where I didn't feel like I was there." I felt like I was there. I felt like I was engaged, and Gilbert was just a better fighter. I, I think that that is a classy thing to do because it's easy to make excuses yeah. after a loss, but it's difficult to give your opponent kudos in a situation where you've just lost all five rounds. It's easy to make an excuse. You could blame it on any any manner of things, but Burns was just a better fighter. And Burns, to me, if you're asking my opinion on who has the best skill set to beat Kamaru Usman, I think that he might be the guy because his striking has okay. gotten way better. His jujitsu is going to make it difficult for Usman to take him down and not be in trouble. And uh, I think that when you look at those specific things, I think and, and another guy that I've always th- said that I thought had a good stylistic matchup for Usman would be Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, but he he's not in the mix right now. Of the people that are yeah, in the mix, yeah. I think that Gilbert Burns can pose the most threat to Usman. We've already seen Usman beat yeah. Leon Edwards. That was a long time ago, but I, I still think that Usman would beat Edwards again. We've seen him beat Covington, Jorge Masvidal. We've seen Masvidal have, having issues with wrestlers and grapplers in the past. I think that Gilbert Burns has the unique skill set that would be needed. And I, I, I see that in the rankings, he's now number one. And I think that mm. if you look at resumes for each fighter, I think that Burns right now has the best resume of any challenger in that division. Yeah, he kind of snuck up to that top of the division. I just maybe it's his uh, social presence and not being that big of a talker, but like he kind of secretly climbed up. Well, not just, I mean, not just that. It's been 300 days. He's moved to the division less than 300 days ago, and he, he beat yeah. an undefeated Russian in Kunchenko. He he beats Demian Maya by knocking finishing Demian yeah. Maya. We haven't seen Demian Maya get finished. He beat Gunnar Nelson on two weeks' notice. Now he beats Woodley. It's very impressive, yeah. and he's done enough, in my opinion, to earn the next title shot. And I think he's the guy that should be next. And what what do you take of them being training partners, Kamaru and Gilbert Burns? It's complicated, of course, but Burns said it best. If you weren't the champion, I would never call you out. I'm calling you yeah. out with respect. You know, we're friends. I, I respect you very much. But every fighter gets into this um, sport to win a title. And yeah. I think that there are a few exceptions where you see a guy like Daniel Cormier say, I'm going to go down to light heavyweight because I don't want to face Kane because we're, we're buddies and we're daily part, training partners. In a gym like Sanford MMA, uh, previously known as Hard Knocks, the, the, the classes aren't such where you have like a, a, a specific training partner every day where you're going to, this is my guy, this is my friend, this is, it's not like a Kane and Cormier situation. There are a lot of people in that gym. You can get different looks from other fighters. And I think that in the spirit of the sport, what Gilbert Burns did is the right thing to do, and it seems like Usman yeah. is not is not shying away from the idea. I think it's the right thing to do, and I think that he should be next in line for a title. And I know that my, that might come off as recency bias, and people are going to say Edwards has a longer winning streak, but Edwards had his chance to beat Kamaru Usman years ago. He wasn't able to do it. His, his the best win on Edwards' resume is against Rafael dos Anjos, who I think is like what one in five in his last six, something like that. He, mm. he hasn't had a lot of success uh, of late. And you look at. Um, Masvidal's wins, Askren no longer in the UFC, Nate Diaz more of a lightweight contender, um, Darren Till now up in the middleweight division. It's a great resume. He's beaten big name opponents, but in terms of the caliber of opponents, I think that Burns has beaten better caliber opponents. But with your take on timing of this fight now, would it make a little bit more sense um, to potentially put Edwards versus someone like Gilbert Burns? And you also got to think Edwards with the travel ban and stuff, he's kind of almost 
put himself out automatically, right, from the a potential fight soon. Well, I think from a promotional standpoint, you should still be trying to make Masvidal versus Usman. That's an easier fight to promote, I think, if you're the UFC. Yeah. I think it's a it's got a bigger name in it. But I think that from a meritocracy standpoint, if you're asking me who I think deserves the next title deserves shot, it. Yeah, I think it's Burns. Key. I agree. I think yeah. it's Burns. But I think I that if, think if I'm the UFC, I'm trying to make that Masvidal versus Usman fight. Yeah, but there, my, the, the two questions for me now is one, I think it's a problem that um, we're talking about their camp having separate, you know, training t- partners, training areas, training times. But I think the issue is the coaching and the preparation for it. Um, having one coach like a Henry Hoof, when you're preparing someone, you give them, you study, you analyze, find weaknesses, and you create game plans and a mindset to attack those certain weaknesses and holes. And that comes to your striking coach, you know. So I just think it's a little bit difficult that way when it comes to, you know, game planning, your coach kind of giving you the those subtleties. That's what you value your coach for, to give you those little things that, you know, the fighter eye doesn't pick up on. So I, I'm interested to see that because fighting your friend for, you know, an up-and-coming fight's a little different. This is like world title. This is life. This is this is big stuff. So that, that's very interesting for me to see. Yeah, and Henry Hoof probably just has to recuse himself from the whole thing and be like, you're going to yeah. coach him, you're going to coach him, and I'm stepping away. We've seen it happen yeah. before, but uh, I think that's what's going to have to happen in this situation as well. Yeah, but even now when we're talking about uh, Masvidal, there was talks about him having a fight. Has any news popped up? Well, they, were, they said that they, they had a big fight in mind for him. I just don't know what that would be. Like, I don't know if it would it be Connor, would it be a Diaz rematch? Who knows? But it seems like there have been a lot of issues with uh, the negotiations for the Usman and uh, Masvidal fight. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited just to see you know Masvidal back. I think his we need him back soon. I would hope. Yeah, me, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what's next for him. He had a great 2019, so yeah. we'll see if he can parlay that into a great 2020. Uh, this weekend, Amanda Nunes, Felicia Spencer. I might be the only one on the planet who's giving Spencer a chance here. I was going to say that. I'm sure you were. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I think she's the, the biggest underdog. Anyone who fights Nunez is going to be a huge underdog anyways. Sure. Um, yeah, she's just got to bring the fight of her life. I'm, I mean, there's nothing much more to it. She's just got to go and fight and prove. She's got, you know, everything to prove in this fight. And I think um, a lot of people with the... Uh, with Spencer fighting Cyborg, going the distance with her. I mean, I think a lot of people don't see it because we've just seen, you know, Nunez knock out Cyborg. But uh, I think, like you said, Spencer's got a little bit of an unorthodox style. She doesn't sit. She's kind of got a little bit of like a Muay Thai mixed with karate, um, weird kicking, weird distance control, her ability to manage distance. I think she's got a great fight if she kind of sticks to her distance and stays off the cage. Well, I don't know about that, because I think her grappling is also a huge asset for her. And I think that being a bigger fighter, being a 45er, Amanda Nunez is going to see some things in this fight that she's not used to seeing in recent fights. And basically, since she's become the champion, um, aside from maybe against Misha Tate, you've got a fighter who's who's got really good grappling chops, who's, who's, who's going to have a lot of good top control opportunities. If she can get on top, she's going to be a way bigger fighter than she's used to, because the yeah. 45ers Which are bigger than the, the problem, 35ers. right? How many times have you seen Nunez on her back, you know, kind of being pounded like that? Yeah, but there's also, but she's also got a big strength advantage at 35. At 45, that strength advantage is gone. Spencer's going to be in the 160s on fight night. Yeah, she's big. She's a, she's a solid girl. Yeah. 
and I think that if she's able to get inside, we saw her being unafraid of, of what Cyborg was throwing at her and not shying away from getting hit by Cyborg in order to hit back, in order to, to, to you know, gain ground on her, to close the distance. If she can close the distance on Nunez, if she can get into situations where she's either scrambling or grappling um, and, and has an opportunity to get top control, if she can get top control at any point in time against Nunez, Nunez is not going to have felt somebody that size uh, yeah. you know, on, on top. In, in past fights for, for many years, maybe since she's been in strike force. And she, that's going to be something she's going to have to adjust to on the fly. And if that happens, I think that we're going to see Spencer have a lot of different opportunities to capitalize in this particular fight. And I think that she's being overlooked unfairly in this fight. Yeah. I mean, she definitely has her attributes. I just think when you think of the power, like for her to close distance, she's got to get hit with some big power from Nunez. And you even saw her, um, in her last fight, it was Jermaine Durandame, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she was able to take top position, go five rounds, use her top control to be able to control and win the fight. So we're kind of seeing her five-round involvement, seeing her being able to pace herself, use her grappling. I just think her ability to use her control with that experience is going to be tough. But I agree with you. She definitely, that top position for Spencer, if she can get it, would be her key. But I just think when you're the GOAT, um, you just don't put yourself in that position very often. It's very rare to be stuck in there. So I think even if she gets there, her skill, her technique, her ability to scramble up, she'll she'll be okay. And one thing Nunes has done particularly well with her team is is game planning for for different opponents. They've they've done, they've been great against Shevchenko those those matchups against Durandame. It was a good uh, good game plan. But the thing about Spencer that I think is going to be different is that Spencer, I think, is going to pressure Nunez, even though Nunez has the striking. We've seen that Spencer has no fears in terms of getting hit and pressuring. She's done it in her past two fights. I think that if Nunez is going to try to take this to the ground, that's a mistake, because if you get into these exchanges with, with Spencer, Spencer's really flexible. She's got good submissions. She's got good grappling. I just think that there are a lot of different puzzles that Amanda Nunez presents that Felicia Spencer will have the answer to, and that... Amanda Nunes might not necessarily have the answer to on her end because it's a different type of fighter. It's a different body type. It's a different stylistic matchup. And I think a lot of people are overlooking these little intangibles and, and they're, they're remembering Amanda Nunes, the one that knocks everybody out, the one that, that, that throws big power. But I don't think that that's going to, that, uh, Felicia Spencer is going to get into a firefight. I think she'll get hit, but I think that she'll, she'll use that to move forward and create forward pressure and forward moment, momentum. And I, I honestly think that Spencer in this fight has a good shot. Yeah, um, she's a minus. Uh, sorry, well, Felicia Spencer would be a plus four fifty. Nunez is a minus six hundred favorite. What would you put the lines at? I would put it at Nunez minus three twenty five. Spencer plus two fifty. If I wanted to give okay. it a like, okay. It, and listen, I'm not saying that that should be the betting line. The betting line is what the betting line is because people are willing to bet it at a certain price. But in terms of the actual probability, the actual odds um, of of a win without taking money into account just what what the sheer odds should be in my opinion yep. that's where where that's around where i would where i would think so like would a be three a to accurate. one almost yeah 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 that's fair i mean especially the size like you're saying of spencer her unorthodox her win streak yeah i mean you always sell me you always get me on giving <laughs> the underdog the shot but uh yeah i still though my heart's telling me um we're gonna see uh amanda win and if I had to go for it, I think it'll be a decision, to be honest. I think Spencer's tough. She's durable. Um, we've seen her eat some big shots, fight well. So I think uh, Amanda by decision would be my prediction. 
Now, the rest of this card has some interesting fights on it. Not Nothing particularly mind-blowing aside from Sterling versus Sandhagen. I think that's a great fight. I think that should be the co-main event. I understand that Cody Garbrandt has more name value, but I think it's a little bit insulting to these guys, uh, Sandhagen and Sterling, to not elevate this fight to, to be a championship-caliber matchup. I mean, Garbrandt's coming off three consecutive losses. I, I don't know why you put him in the co-main event. You got Asuncao's coming off a loss as well. So why not take the two people that are actually surging in the division and put them in the co-main event position? I mean, I think it's just former champion, right? You automatically want to put your former champions higher on the card. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. If the the fight before it is the bantamweight belt that's going to be your next title fight, I get it. But I just think uh, Cody being that uh, former champion, uh, they just moved him up. We've got a pretty stacked show today. We've got uh, interviews with uh, Amanda Nunes, uh, Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sandhagen, uh Cody Garbrandt, Sean O'Malley. This is a this is a big show, big show, Joe. Yeah, hey, it's big a huge show. one. I'm into it. Yeah, so we're uh, we're excited about uh, a lot of these interviews. Um, but uh, let, let's keep with the card because Cody Garbrandt. I mean, this is this is do or die for him. He's lost three in a row. He was he was undefeated before he he suffered that first loss, and then has subsequently lost two fights since then. Um, if Cody Garbrandt loses, what happens? Well, in your opinion, I mean, I think I think if he loses. He should move down to flyweight. He's been teasing a flyweight move for some time. And even if he wins, I think a move to flyweight would probably put him closer to a title shot than uh, than anything else. I just think with Cody Garbrandt, and it's weird to say this because we call him a former champion, he's still pretty new in his record. I believe he's like, when he won his UFC title, I thought he was only like 11-0 and in MMA. So he's still really new, climbed the rankings really quick. He became a champion very quickly, uh, very fast. Um I think I wouldn't say he would be done. I don't think that's a word you can say with Cordy Garbrandt, but I just think you kind of reevaluate him where he stands in the division. And it's I don't think it's bad to say, hey, you got to climb your way back up. You, you've shown you've lost four in a row. Time to kind of build. I've seen him working with uh, Mark Henry. He looks great. He looks lean. Um, I think Mark Henry, I mean, I just like his philosophy of, you know, coaching guys at his home and, you know, doing a lot of good movement. But I think the biggest problem with Cody Garbrandt was keeping that chin pretty high, winging, bombing punches. But from what I've seen with Mark Henry, he's hitting, he's moving his head off center line. He's looking sharp and technical. So I think uh, I've seen him mixing kicks well because, you know, Cody's known for his boxing. So I think uh, we'll see um, maybe an improved Garbrandt, but I can't just go against uh, Rafael Sensao right now, to be honest with you. Well, he's just such a good X's and O's guy. Um, and the thing about it, though, that I think is a disadvantage for a Sun Tzu is the way that people have beaten Cody Garbrandt in those last three fights is you engage him in a firefight. You get him emotional. Yeah. And I don't know. You hit if, him in mid range. Yep. Yeah. And I don't know if that's something that a Sun Tzu is going to want to do is, is to get into a firefight with a guy with the power of a Cody Garbrandt. Well, I think a Sun Tzu would use, hopefully, a little bit more of his wrestling to kind of mix things up. I think he's got to try to mix up levels, mix in, you know, takedowns just to try to confuse Garbrandt but Garbrandt was known for that power so we'll see what he's going to bring but I think the big mistake was him relying too much on that power and sitting there swinging and I mean it worked with Dominic Cruz but I mean a lot of these guys he's going to have to kind of take some like the, the Justin Gaethje example like take a little bit off the power shots kind of keep clean keep technical and try to set things up and I think Garbrandt's going to be dangerous especially if we see him mixing some kicks with those good hands I'm excited to see uh, how he is, but four in a row, like that's 
very hard if he loses to ever come back from. Yeah, absolutely, and that that would be that would be very difficult. And uh, j- looking at just looking at the odds for that particular fight, Garban's a, a pretty small favorite. And then with uh, Sandhagen and Sterling, it's basically an even money fight almost. So it's uh, you know a lot of good close fights on this particular card. Um, what's uh, what's your take on the Sterling Sandhagen fight? Like Sandhagen is another one of these fighters where. I know his name. It's been there. I mean, but it hasn't really stuck with me. If someone were to tell me, you know, who's the next bantamweight to get a shot, like that, the name Corey Sanhagen doesn't come up to my head very often. So I think a win here against someone like Aljamain Sterling will get him more in my conversation. I feel for sure. I think Sanhagen's a championship potential fighter. I mean, he's. I interviewed his coaches a co- about a year and a half ago. I was doing a piece on Francis Ngannou and how much his striking has evolved. And I asked them, they said, well, you know, Curtis's striking is about a 7 out of 10 right now. I said, well, if you're calling his striking a 7 out of 10, who are some of the guys that have like a 10 out of 10 striking in MMA, would you say? And they were like, you know, guys like John Jones, Corey Sandhagen, and named a couple. I go, hold mm. on, hold on, back up the back up the truck here for a second. So yeah, yeah. Corey Sandhagen, you think he's a 10 out of 10 in striking? They're like, yeah, his striking is like off the charts good. His jujitsu is fantastic too. So I, I just, I think that... We're going to see a very interesting fight here, and I think that Corey Sanhagen just keeps evolving. I would favor Corey Sanhagen in this fight personally, and I think he should be next in line for a title if he wins. I mean, from what I'm seeing from his style, it's just his, his ability to manage distance and use his length seems to be his best you know, attribute. Yeah, and he's just not afraid to walk forward. And I think that in this situation, I think Sanhagen is going to have a striking advantage. Sterling will have the wrestling advantage, but if you take Sandhagen down, you're going to put yourself into trouble because Sandhagen's got a lot of crafty submissions. And not to say that Sterling doesn't. Sterling's grappling is really good, too. So yeah, I think that's. Sterling... With his Sarah Longo, he's got to be pretty good. Yeah. You know? yeah I, mean, I mean, Sterling's basically his best path, in my opinion, is to, is to try to take Sandhagen down and control him and, and stay out of uh, situations where you're, you're going to get subbed. I mean, it's easier yeah. said than done. I mean, I, I, Sandhagen's a very crafty guy. But, uh, you know, personally, I think that Sandhagen should be the favorite in this fight. I mean, Sterling's a small favorite, but uh, I think that Sandhagen is a guy that we really need to look out for. I think he's a future champion in the division. Yeah, I, I'm hearing that from a lot of people. So this is why I think um, my eyes are really on this fight, because I think he's one of the guys. And he actually trains, I believe, in uh, Elevation, Team mm-hmm. Elevation. Yeah, he's Elevation Team, yeah. So, uh Someone, one of my friends is actually cornering him this weekend. Oh, which friend? Sean, Sean Madden is one of his coaches. Okay, cool. So he's one of his striking coaches, been in with Glory so many times, so we've become really good friends. And I've seen him, because uh, I believe there's two elevation fighters, uh, Neil Magny yeah, and Sanhagen. Yeah, so Maggie's he's with both of these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got and Elliot I've been Marshall. here I am. I'm giving uh, Anthony uh, uh, Rocco Martin some tips against neil magny now oh, are you because he's with tyson uh oh yeah he moved out tyson there with tyson chartier yeah yeah tyson's there with him now in his corner so just giving him some calf kick advice because we know that uh, rocco martin's really good with the calf kicks and neil magny is susceptible to like calf kicks so i just gave my insight on uh, some of the timings that i saw mm-hmm. but not too much Man, just just right? a fun just be like, hey, these are the timings I see. Do what you want with them. Yeah, but both these guys are so underrated. Both both Anthony Rocco Martin and Neil Magny are such underrated guys. Magny especially. Magny is a guy that oh, everybody seems time. to sleep on. He's always an underdog, and he just always manages to get these wins. Like last fight against Li Jingliang, underdog comes comes uh, comes and wins the fight. He lost to Ponzinibbio, sure, but um, he was an underdog. I think against uh, Carlos Condit beats Carlos Condit. 
Um, just whenever you put this guy in a in a situation where he's an underdog, he seems to always come through. So um, he's actually a small favorite in this one against uh, Anthony Martin, but he's he's just a guy that has so many different weapons. And Anthony Rocco Martin too. Yeah. I mean, Anthony Rocco Martin's really evolved as a fighter over the years. Yeah. I mean, I think as a welterweight, if you were to ask me who is one of the least guys I'd probably want to fight, it would be Neil Magny. Because, not because he's a power guy, it's that tallness. It's that having a close distance. When yeah. you fight, when you fight Magny, you have to fight. You have to close distance. He's good with straight punches, so you kind of have to get off your head off center line, push him back. For me, it would be an easier fight because he doesn't know how to block kicks, <laughs> you know, in my pressure fighting. But, but most people, an easy one for me, but... He would. He's very tough because when he gains momentum and he pushes you backwards, he mixes in these knees. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a very awkward guy. He would be a crappy guy to fight because he's got that tall, long, you know, strong bones. Yeah, he's those types are the worst fighters. There's a lot of interesting fighters on this card. I mean, Sean O'Malley, I thought looks great in his last fight. He's a five to one yeah. favorite against uh, Eddie. I'm Wyland. just always excited to see him. He's a character, you know. He's young. He's a character. He's he's different, and I think he's. A, his, he's a beast. His, I think he's a, a true definition of a mixed martial artist. He's, a, he's sneaky the, good everywhere. The way he kicks, his fluidity, he flows, spin. He spin like his spin kicks are nice. His range control, his footwork. He can fight both stances. He grapples well. He wrestles good. He's young. Like that's a that's a a mix a modern mixed martial artist. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Gerald Mearshart, Ian Heinish, That's a good one. Uh, I've, I've developed a bit of a relationship with Gerald Mearshart. We were reviewing albums together, and uh, oh, he's, right. just, he's a good dude. I like him, and I also like Ian Heinish. I've interviewed Ian Heinish on many occasions, and his life story is uh, very interesting, but he's, he's left Factory X. I know he was doing some training in Thailand, but I don't know where he did the rest of his camp. I, I'm interested to know that information. Um, Chase Hooper is another real up-and-comer. He's actually facing Alex Caceres. About 10 years yeah, ago, Alex, yeah, Alex Caceres basically was Chase Hooper 10 years ago. <laughs> That's yeah, what yeah. makes it so interesting. But Chase Hooper is really good. Yeah, because when was Caceres, I Bruce Leroy, that he's been probably in part of the UFC now for what almost ten years at least. Yeah, when's his, I don't know, his UFC debut? Like crazy. Yeah, his UFC debut was nine years ago. Oh yeah, I was like, damn. Yeah, yeah he's been around. And I remember when he came into the UFC, he was the same kind of thing: lanky, good, good grappling, yeah. young. And now uh, he's facing basically the next the next generation of Alex Caceres yeah. and Chase Hooper. Yeah. Did you did you get to talk to him? I remember his last interview had me laughing about wanting to get M and M's. Yeah, like, I've spoken to him since then. Him. I like Chase. He's, he's just he's yeah. so young though. He makes me feel it's so a kid. old. It's Dude, a kid. He, he's yeah, like eighteen years younger than me. They're like that that sounds crazy to me that yeah. he's that young. He's giving you kind of your his Drake references and all of his cartoons that you. Well, your son's probably closer to him. He than is. You oh, are, far so. way closer. My son's nine I'm years younger closer. than him, and I'm there eighteen years older than him. Your son has more in common with Chase Hooper than you do. Yeah, yeah, he probably does. I'm sure that Chase <laughs> Chase Cooper's watching Dan TDM on YouTube, just like my kid is. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's the new, that's uh, the guy, uh, Dan Baby TDM. Shark. I think Chase no, Cooper's my, a little my, old for my Baby nine Shark. Year old, my nine-year-old's a little old for Baby Shark. Little old don't, for, don't insult I him. Have no idea what don't Baby insult Shark the young is, guy. So. He'll be mad yeah. at you if you told him that. Oh, I'm insulting his age. Exactly, yeah, that's for babies, Joe. That's babies. Baby yeah, Shark is I for know, babies. all right. All right. Even my four-year-old well, is, old, is too old for Baby Shark at this point in time. Really? I gotta yeah. watch an episode to see what it's all about. It's not even an episode. It's just a minute and a half song. That's all it is. Yeah, it's just it's a not song. a show. No, it's not a show. It's just a song. I thought Baby Shark was a show. Brian Barberena came out to Baby Shark uh, in one of his fights. 
as his okay. intro music. Yeah. All right. So if you want to, if you want to, if you want to fuse, Look what I learned yeah. today. If you want to fuse both worlds, Joe, you can watch uh, watch Brian Barberino's walkout. That's it. Get both. Brian Kelleher back. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, he's facing Cody Stamen. Cody Stamen's brother, eighteen-year-old brother, died suddenly, like last week. I was supposed to interview Cody Stamen last Friday. And I got a message from his manager saying he had a death in the family. And I didn't think much of it. I oh, thought maybe man. it was like an uncle or something. And then it came out in recent days. It was his 18, 18-year-old brother. And he wants to. He said his brother would, would have wanted him to fight. So he wants to fight like Jeez. to honor his brother. But that's heavy. Like That's hard. Can you imagine? Like, that's the Walt Harris brother. almost. You know? That's yeah. almost that Walt Harris situation we just saw. Yeah. I mean, the Walt Harris one's a little bit more grim because she was murdered, of course. But I mean, like it's it's an 18-year-old like 18-year-old brother suddenly passing away is very like that's just difficult. That's a heavy yeah. situation, especially so so like uh he's going to be like a, a week and a bit removed from it. Like that's very that's that's heavy. That's a heavy thing to enter a fight. Um yeah. they're both fighting up a weight class at 145. Kelleher fought recently and uh he, he looks like he wants to stay busy, but yeah, that's a tough situation. I I feel for Cody Stamen. Yeah, I mean, damn, that's, I don't know, like, I, I always, I I'm, never was in that situation, but just dealing with that would be, I don't know how fighters can do it. I know it's nice to keep your mind occupied, but it's just so much stress on top of stress, you know, like, I, I have no clue. That's definitely right away, it kills your gas tank, your motivation, that that extra dig deep. But again, if you can use that as momentum and, and motivation, that can be one of the most dangerous things in the world. If you're fighting for someone you love and, and you put your mind to wanting to honor them, like you fight, you fight that way. And you know, mm-hmm. that could really bring out a good performance. Yeah. So I guess we'll see how he re- uh, reacts to that. Um, Gilbert Burns is heading back to the apex. Uh, he's going to be cornering his brother. Herbert Burns is facing Evan Dunham coming out of retirement. That's a weird fight. Yeah, <laughs> That's geez. just a weird fight. <laughs> Because you got a yeah. young up and comer like Herbert Burns, and then you've got um, Evan Dunham, who is, um, you, you know, he hasn't fought in, in some time. He decided to come out of retirement, and it's a tough, uh, tough, uh, tough day at the office if you're facing Herbert Burns. Take take me back on what was Evan Dunham's last fight? I want to remember it was either something that he did well, or I want to say that he just needed to hang it up. I don't remember. No, he what fought, the he fought Francisco was. Trinaldo. He hasn't. He didn't look good in his last couple of fights. He lost to Olivier Aubon Mercier. And then he fought Trinaldo, and uh, yeah, he he didn't look good in those fights. And I guess he wants he's been training, and he's been you know he just he has the urge to get back in there. So uh, we'll see how he does. Hmm. But that's the I think that's the first fight on the card. Then you got two guys um, from Florida's MMA, Alonzo Manafield taking on Devin Clark, and you got Charles Bird taking on Mackie Patolo. So uh, nice to see the guys from Florida's MMA get back into back into action. Yeah. For me, for me, is it Formiga? Formiga. Yeah, Formiga. Formiga is uh, is on the card as well against Alex Perez. That's a uh, that's a fun one. The pronunciation of it. Tuesday like Formiga. Brazilian. Yeah. Formiga. Yeah. Formiga. Yeah. That's how you say it in Brazilian. Might be Formiga. I think it's Formiga though. Portuguese. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, I don't know that one. But uh, so yeah, the UFC has cards up until July. There's no card on July fourth, and then they're they're just back in business. They're going to be doing so weekly. Yeah, they're going to be doing cards again. Now, what's uh, two questions for you? Any updates on Fight Island being a thing? Yeah, it looks like uh, June twenty seventh. Dana White uh, was on Eddie Hearn's podcast and said that they're looking to do the first fight there, June twenty seventh. And uh, June twenty seventh, I wanted to see if they have anything lined up for that date. So June twenty seventh, that's Dan Hooker versus Dustin Poirier. Uh, and then you've got uh, Aspen Ladd on that card, Sarah McMahon, uh, the Crochet Boss going to the island to take on uh, okay. Jean Volante. Uh, 
right. He's not going to need any of his wool hats or anything, but yeah. Yeah, no hat needed. That's for sure. No, ha- no hats and, needed. Well, you never know. Maybe the island's like in Alaska, off the coast of Alaska. Probably that's not. That's it. One of those Rasta hats. The Jamaican Rastas always wear those nice little, you know, hats. Maybe it's a thing. I don't know. Yeah, I thought you have to ask the crochet boss if he's crocheting <laughs> those as well. Uh, Canadian yeah. Tanner Bozer from Edmonton going down to Fight Island to take on Felipe Linz. So, uh, yeah. Tanner Bozer. Yeah. So. How Now, explain to me. I'm confused. This was question two for you. Was... What's happening? I heard a potential match, which I was so excited for, which was uh, Charles Jourdain versus Andre Feely. Yeah, that fight is That booked. was supposed to be this weekend, wasn't it? No, that, that fight's not this weekend. Uh, actually, it's next weekend. So it's uh, booked and for next how weekend. And how are Canadians able to go to the Apex or travel? So I asked... Uh, how Char- is that working? I asked Charles Jourdain about it, and um, basically the UFC sent a memo to the Canadians saying that you you they will write a letter on your behalf to the Canadian government stating that it's essential travel. So you're able to... They, they do make exceptions for essential travel, and uh, the UFC is doing the same for Alexander Volkov, who's flying from Russia to face Curtis Blades on the 20th. So... Basically, they, mm. they send a letter to the government stating that it's essential travel, and they try to get it approved. And he's been approved, and it's been all good? I would hope know. so. <laughs> it's in a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I don't know how crazy things are going. Fights have been changing up to the last minute, you know? So, I don't know. I was always torn. I was like, man, I mean, I have no no job right now. Does Fight Island need me? Sign me up. You yeah. got some hookups there. Go and do some, go go and do some instructions. Yeah, some instructional stuff. I mean, you're not going to compete. I'll fight there. I'll compete in Fight Island if they're going to put me in hey, Fight Island. I'll do it. Call Rogan. Rogan's your con. I can't get you fights. I'll Rogan. Rogan can get you fights. Yeah. yeah. We got to keep Bazooka kickboxing open. I need to compete. I got to do something. Who Who are you fighting? Pick Pick someone out. Call Call, uh, call I someone said, out. I, I told you who I always wanted. Who? Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Okay. I'm so, going if I'm going to go. I'm going for the top of the division. But one. can you make 170? And I think it's the perfect fight because um, a lot of people look at him as a striker. He rare to go down. I have the blueprint. It's the perfect fight. Can you make 170? Yeah. Okay. Not not in June, but I need two months. Yeah, two months, no problem. Well, could you in July? I, I think I need more. I need more than two months. I think it's just June, July, need. though. So I don't think you have two months. Uh, then I do 185. Okay. But it's fair. He's looking at all the experience he has. I've been out for four years. He can go. He can meet me at 185. What about like a Uriah Hall? Like that's another kind of Wonder Boy type fighter. That's a fun one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if you're asking me for two weeks, then I have to be 185. If you give me three months, 170. Okay. Well, again, yeah, call I Joe Rogan. I'm, I'm the wrong guy for you here. I can't well, get you a fight. Come on, Aaron. Step it up. I can't get you a fight. I could, get in there. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could text Dana, but I don't think he's going to be receptive to it. But if, if Rogan yeah, texts we, him, then he, he might be more got, open to it. We got your Twitter handle now. You're going on. We'll use your Twitter handle that plays on the uh, when it goes on the broadcast. Bazooka Joe calls out, and we just start calling people out. Well, I can, I can put this video out of you calling out Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And just call it. Yeah, just say, But hey. I'm doing it more. I'm... But the thing is, I'm doing it more because it's more of a martial arts thing for me. Like it's like the challenge. I want the challenge of it. But also, the so it's other just thing the island. Is, the, well, the, you're not even. Do you don't even care that much about fighting in the UFC. You just want to fight on an island. The challenge, because I want to fight. No, it's more of me fighting uh, a high caliber mixed martial artist. Never fighting mixed martial arts. So fighting a Wonder Boy Thompson, who you know at the highest level right now would just show that I can compete in all sports at that level. And it would just be fun because his style is very open to low kicks. And I created videos. So there's a lot of, like, both martial artists. Both have been martial artists as kids. 
You know, like who's the ultimate of the martial artists? You know, I think it'd be a perfect fight. Both respectful, both good guys. It's nice. Hey, I'm on board. I'm just telling you that I'm the wrong guy. Rogan's your guy. Rogan's the guy. I can't do anything for you. Okay, but we're saying we're going to use your social, your your Twitter to start. Although that you can do. Yeah, that, but I mean, the that other thing do. I want to do, we're going to do one day. The promo, we're not going to call people out to fight. I think our promo should be opening up to fighters to start to understand that I'm open to coaching. I, I need to get some of these UFC guys because the striking in the UFC needs to be improved. And I'm here. I'm open. My gym is open. I can travel if they need me to the coach. So I need to get more UFC fighters learning the system and you know, improving striking in mixed martial arts so um i want to more reach out to guys for training they should be coming here we should be really putting into camps and and showing how i could really improve a lot of careers out there i can get charles jordan to come to you i'm sure i know oh we've talked about it many times he'd, he'd, talked he'd about come it many out times yeah we uh we talked about it many many times he's always said it but i think at one point they also uh they also were a little hesitant because uh, Tariq Ishmael trains with me, and Tariq's a guy who was called out his brother, I think. So, but Tariq was just wanting to be active or something. So I always thought they thought there was tension, but I invited them personally many times. Their coach, his brother. Um, I think their style's perfect to work with me and train with me, and it's been talked about many times because I used to see them at the TKO shows, and that's why uh, I'm a big supporter of the Jordans. Yeah, well, I don't know what's going on with TKO. They're going to be continuing. Especially during this pandemic. You think they're done? And even before that, though, they can't. I don't think, uh, I mean, it's not my place, but I think there's health problems. Yeah, uh, Stefan Stefan canceled an event because of his health. Yeah, and that's where, like, Malcolm was his champion, and now Malcolm's having to look elsewhere. So I'm not too sure. Not too sure. But Malcolm's now in Brave. Malcolm's in that tournament. Yeah, no, no longer because Brave stopped, right? Yeah, they're not doing uh, anything right now? No, uh, and my understanding is Malcolm is free right now, so I think it's a perfect opportunity for the UFC to pick up Malcolm on one of his fights because he's ready anytime. Well, they're signing so all these flyweights, it would make a ton of sense. Yeah, it's a perfect opportunity for him to be able to jump on something. I mean, I know Dana White Contender Series isn't playing right now, but... It is. Uh, no, it's Mel- coming back. Contender Series is going to start in like a month. Okay, well, I've heard rumors that that could be a potential for him. So okay. I'm hoping. Well, he's got the we right representation. He's got Danny Rubenstein, one of the best in the biz. Yeah, he'll get him. He'll get him. But that's our. Malcolm deserves to be there. Malcolm really deserves to be there, and I will do everything in my power to make sure I see Malcolm Gordon in the UFC. What about Tariq? He, Is Tariq a free agent uh, now too? Tariq, no. Tariq's still with Brave, and Tariq's uh, does really good out there. You mean from his background, his culture, like. You know, um, it's just it works well for him. So he's going to go there, probably one or two more fights, probably fight their champion. He's already calling them out. And then from there, it's uh, who knows? Maybe he likes Brave and he wants to stay or the UFC uh, hopefully is an option from there. But Malcolm, his style, his jujitsu, his finishing rate, he's finished guys. He's he deserves to be there. So Malcolm Gordon, you'll see eventually. Excellent. Well, I, I hope so. He, like you mentioned, he certainly is No, so. We know so, Aaron. Law of attraction. We oh. know so. All right. I'll take it. I'd, uh, we need more Canadians in the UFC, especially high-caliber ones like Malcolm. And Malcolm, I think, could contend for the title there. And I think one of the biggest problems I was explaining to a few people lately, I think the combat sports athletes in Ontario especially, I, I find it's decreased significantly in the past 10 years. 
I mean, even with kickboxing, we've had multiple champions out of Canada. Now we only have one fighter from BC on the glory roster. I mean, even now the UFC hasn't really been coming to Toronto. So where's our Ontario athletes that are fighting at that highest level? It's very few these days. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what else you got going on right now? I mean, do you, who who do you have that's coming into the? Do you have people that are coming into the gym at all to train? Or? No, not right now because the gym's closed. Right, we can't really open. I can't really start opening to to fighters and people. Um, I've been very fair to not let uh, you know some fighters, not fighters. There's no fights, so I just don't think it's fair that I would bring one couple of my fighters and the other guys don't get to come in. So I've kept it pretty fair. Um, but uh, it sucks, man. Aaron, it really sucks. Your whole life being able to train and have training partners and being here and, and then not being able to have it. Really, really. Like, it's, it's, an, it's an addiction for us. Since I was four years old, I've done martial arts every single day of my life with my team and, and guys training. And just as the government said, you know, we got to keep, you know, weed and alcohol, the LCBOs open because of addiction. And we don't want more mental health happening and stress. That's what exercise is for a lot of us that's what martial arts is that's my meditation that's my drug my drug is hitting the bag my alcohol is coming in and you know weight training it's it's mandatory we need it we feel good we've been doing it our whole life so they're really doing a disservice by not letting us open up so you're saying that 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 fitness is more important than drinking alcohol is that what you're trying to say i'm trying i think so i think so (laughs) i think so I'm pretty sure I learned that in university. I don't know yet. I'm not sure. Well, but, uh, <laughs> uh, ah, come on. Well, I know that you me. you are like a a real creature of habit, and Big uh, time. and like what have you been able? What have you been doing on a day to day basis? Like your life has probably changed dramatically over the last couple of months. Well, I've been at the gym all the time, but now it's more of um, the past five years. I've opened Bazooka. It's been really tough because I've been traveling every other weekend. So I never really got a full understanding to like um, understand and learn the business at the level I should have because I have business partners. I have a full time manager. So while I'm here, I've, every day I've been cleaning, reorganizing, restructuring, preparing. I've actually been doing more work at the gym than I have in the past five years. It's just more preparing, getting ready where my job in the past was preparing for glory events, getting ready for travel. You know, now it's all, everything is the gym. How am I going to grow the gym, build the fighters, build the fight team, build the websites, build the social media? Like, I mean, our websites have uh, been redone. Our gym has been cleaned up. My office is all set up nicely. So everything is growing from the YouTube channel, from the business side point. So it's just keeping busy, just waiting for that green light. Then that door opens, but we're ready. So it's been honestly just all about still training. I train as more than I ever have because I have the time and just spending time here at the gym preparing. Well, Joe, uh, enlightening conversation with you, but uh, we should uh, we should get to our guests. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, and next week we can chat about uh, UFC 250. Maybe we'll have a new Canadian champion for the first time since GSP. And we'll ha- we'll know how Ivy did as well. We'll have <laughs> exactly. our answer to see how yeah, good he is Ivy. or not. I should look. Uh, I should look up some information on him. I, yeah, but, let's uh, hope. Let's hope that he had the opportunity and he does well. Those are the stories we want to hear. Yep, absolutely. Well, uh, Joe, thanks for this, and we'll uh, we'll talk again next right. week. Let's, Sounds good. Let's go to our first interview. We got an interview uh, with Amanda Nunes, the uh, the best female fighter in UFC history and in MMA history, uh, and she joins us now on the TSN MMA show. 
I'm now joined by the lioness, who's also the GOAT, Amanda Nunes, the greatest female fighter of all time. But first off, congratulations. Yourself and Nina are expecting a baby in September, a baby girl. And I wanted to extend my congratulations. Parabench. Thank you. <laughs> Parabench. <laughs> Thank you. I hope I'm saying that okay. My grandmother was born in Brazil, Parabéns. so I'm doing my best. <laughs> Parabéns. Obrigado. Well, <laughs> one thing that you have not done in your career, and you've done just about everything, is defend the featherweight title. After you defend the featherweight title, if you're successful against Felicia Spencer, what more is there for you to do in this career? I don't know. I'm excited for to see what is my next step. But this fight... Definitely is going to be huge for me, you know. Keep it making history. How much do you know about Felicia Spencer? You know, there's a picture of you when you were at an Invicta event. You were kind of sizing her up uh, when she was weighing in against somebody else. Uh, what do you know about uh, Felicia and, and what are, what's unique about her as an opponent? Um, I, you know, I've, I've been watching her, her old fights a lot. You know, I have a, a breakdown on her. And yeah, I feel like she's well-rounded, you know. She don't have nothing to lose in this fight. I know she's going to go forward. And I know she's going to try to, like, pressure me, try to, like, hold me against the cage, you know. Use, use wrestling, her ground. I feel like she is going to do everything she can, you know. I have to be ready for we're in the middle of a global pandemic, obviously, and uh, training situations have changed for just about everybody. What's your training situation like? How have things been different in terms of how you've prepared for this fight? So, for, the gym is open for me, you know? It's like, uh, we, we make a uh, schedule, you know, I go to the gym, it's in my time, nobody's there. You know, we training separate me, my coach, and my training partner. And I, I, I was be able to do my camp perfectly. You know, perfect. I feel, I feel like the gym it make it easy for us. You know, they always clean everything. They always sanitize everything. You know, all the all the 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 requirements they've been doing very well. You know, keep everybody distance for each other and uh, make that good for us, you know, good for me. I'd be able to make a full camp, you know. It's the same uh, team this time around, the, coach, uh, the great coach Conan Silvera as your head coach for this camp? Yeah, Conan Silvera, Mike Brown for wrestling, Catel uh, for the strike, uh, Everton for the conditioning, Pahumpa for jiu-jitsu, and... We're good to go. Conan was also the head coach for Colby Covington, who's uh, recently announced that he's left American Top Team. Uh, what did you think about Colby leaving the gym and uh, going elsewhere? Never affected me. Never affected me. He stayed in the gym out, you know. I never see him that much in the gym anyways, you know. Uh, we always train in, in different times, and the gym is huge. And uh, I always... Like, in my own, he's in his own. Never was a problem for me. Well, as I mentioned off the top, you, you and Nina are expecting a child in September. Are you looking to take some time off after this particular fight? I don't know. You know, I, I feel like uh, I deserve a time off, 
after this fight for sure because I want to enjoy this process with Nina. You know, September, I want to be there for her. I want to be able to not think about anything else, just about her and, and our daughter. And uh, it's possible. It's possible I, I get a time off after this to, to have a you know, free moment with this new time in my life. You know, I'm very excited about it. It's obviously a very exciting time for Nina and yourself. And uh, again, congratulations on, on that. Um, do you have a favorite win in your career? You've got such a great resume and so many fantastic wins. Is there one win that you, you cherish above the others? The Cyborg one was uh, huge for me. Uh, but uh, having one that is like, is, for me, is like my favorite. Is the one that I knocked Holly Home out with a... Uh, leg kick for me because I trained that leg kick for so long, you know. I always talk to Nina about that, like, man, you think one day I'd be able to knock somebody out with high kick or something? We always talk about it. We always play around. And But, uh, you know, you train, but you don't know if it, the time is right. You don't know. Maybe you're going to throw. Maybe you're going to get in bad position. And that moment was huge for me because I've been training that kick for so long, but I never be able to throw because a lot of things block me. Because you know MMA, people can grab you if you do something wrong. You know, thinking goes wrong if you miss it. But for that fight, like I trained like a lot of that kick. For some reason, I know I would be able to catch her, you know, because she's southpaw. That kick... In South Park, work very well and work, and I was very happy about it. That was a huge moment for me. I think I think that one is the favorite for me. Well, you mentioned Holly. If you look at your resume as a whole, people talk about the greatest of all time. But do you think you have the best resume ever? If you look at it, two wins over Valentina Shevchenko. Most people think she's the, the best flyweight on the planet. Uh, a win over Ronda Rousey, who at the time everybody thought was the best bantamweight on the, on the planet. And then Cyborg, in 51 seconds, everybody thought she was the greatest of all time, the best featherweight on the planet. Do you think that you have a better resume than anybody in the history of mixed martial arts? Yeah, sure. You know, you just, you just say everything, you know. And uh, I prove it. And I honestly, like, I don't have nuts to prove it, of course. But uh, I want to keep it making history, you know? Keep, keep it doing this. this. This is very exciting moments in my life. I enjoy every single day. And uh, yeah, I, I, I did it, you know? I'm the best on the planet. I am. Well, making history is, uh, is something that you can do this Saturday against Felicia Spencer, becoming the first woman to defend a title in two different weight classes. Uh, best of luck against Felicia this Saturday. Thank you. I know I'm not down in my mind. I'm now joined by Aljamain Sterling, who will be facing Corey Sanhagen at UFC 250. It's this weekend at the UFC Apex. Uh, you're looking forward to fighting with nobody in attendance. How do you think that's going to feel? I'm not sure how it's going to feel. Maybe just like another day in sparring. Uh, we make sure we had no music and sparring sessions and just kind of hearing the voices of my, my cornermen, my, my trainers that I've been working with. And um, I'm excited for it. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. If anything, maybe it takes off more pressure and I could kind of let loose a little bit more than what I have in my last two fights. But uh, who knows? You know, I haven't been out there yet and uh, I won't know until I make that walk. 
You're going to get this question a lot, I'm sure, but Henry Zahudo obviously relinquishes the title, retires, uh, and they end up making a fight between Peter Yan and Jose Aldo. But they have the fight with you and Sanhagen right in their laps. They only have one title fight on this card. Were you surprised that you guys weren't going to be the title fight? Uh, surprise? I, I don't know if I was surprised, but, um, you know, Zahudo's gone, good riddance, and time for the real bantamweight challenges to, to rise up and, and fight for that opportunity to become the undisputed UFC bantamweight champion. So I think Henry got out while, while the getting was, you know, starting to get, start to pick up on him. So uh, I think he realized the competition was only going to get stiffer. So uh, now it's going to be a dog fight to, to try to just get to the top. And, um, you know, Corey Sanding is a tough dude. I got to get past this guy and then uh, I can, I can focus on other things after that. So Hudo's going to walk away with a good legacy. I mean, he was the flyweight champion. There hasn't been a flyweight champion since, of course, retiring as the bantamweight champion. But as you alluded to, he didn't fight the top challengers in the bantamweight division. He won the title. Marais, I think, was the top challenger, of course, at the time. Uh, and then you've got Dominic Cruz and Jose Aldo were the two people in the mix for his first title defense. Do you think that impacts his legacy at all, that he didn't go for somebody who was, I guess, a, a more of an up-and-coming talent in the division? I think so. I think for the hardcore fans who are going to really nitpick his career when it's all said and done 10, 15 years from now when we're looking back at the, the, the best guys in the world, people are going to be like, well, this guy didn't fight any of the real contenders. He fought Dominic Cruz, who was ranked what at the time? He wasn't ranked when he fought him. You know, now I think Dominic Cruz is like outside of the top 10, which is kind of crazy to, to, to see. And maybe he's not that low on the totem pole, but I, I definitely do think not fighting the number one contenders kind of takes away a little bit from what you've accomplished. You know, he did beat some killers. He beat Marlon Marais, a guy who beat me. Um, he beat TJ Dillashaw, but he beat TJ coming down to 25, which was to Henry's advantage. So there's a lot of things that was kind of like, eh, that was great, but, you know, it makes it a little bit tough to give him that undisputed claim as the best pound-for-pound guy and um, having the, the stiffest reg- uh pretty much resume you know so obviously the one guy i would definitely say he looked great against was marlon rice you know had a tough first round came back and battled back and to adversity and got the finish you know so it's something to be said about that but i i do think when you look at everybody else and compare the resumes his is going to be a little bit kind of like kind of some question marks i, I guess I, I don't know what else how else to better explain it I've always said that people make a little bit too much of uh, placement on cards and where, where fights are on cards. But are you surprised that you guys are not the co-main event and that another fight in your division between two lower-ranked guys in uh, Garbrandt and Asun Sao is serving as the co-main event on Saturday? Oh, yeah, definitely. I was actually really surprised by that. I was like, wait, so the guy on a three-fight losing skid, TKO's and KO's at that, and a guy who's on a two-fight losing skid. I, I was kind of confused, but it is what it is. You know, I don't make the rules. It's not my company. Obviously, Cody Garbrandt has a huge following and a big name, former champion. Um, beat Dominic Cruz and bested him and made it look pretty easily. And uh, I guess from where I sit, it doesn't really matter as long as we go out there and put on the performance that steals the show, and that's pretty much all I'm focused on. Cody Garbrandt, Rafael Sunset, they're tough dudes. Highly ranked in the division, but I think it's the uh, the time of us us young guys who are coming up. And obviously, Garber is a little bit younger than I am, but um, Corey Sanhagen and myself, I I think we put the work in, and we're the new bloods coming in. Well, I can't really call myself a new blood anymore, but I'm still I'm still here, pretty much. I'm still here. Let's just get this shit going. 
try to follow me here because it's a bit convoluted. The number one guy, Marlon Moraes, beats Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo ends up becoming ranked number six. Moraes is supposed to face Peter Jan. Then Jan gets pulled from the fight to face the guy that Moraes just beat for the title. Does this make any sense to you? <laughs> We're living in bizarro land, as you can see. Uh, rankings don't mean shit anymore, and... It's really about your performance and your name value. So if you can get some people to pump up your name on social media or something, then maybe that's going to get you a huge fight that can make your line, your, 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 uh, yeah, the line to the title a lot shorter. So, you know, it, it is what it is, man. I can only control what I can control. I can't, uh, I can't harp on that. It is very odd and definitely disappointing that I just hope the UFC after this we get back to what made the UFC great, which is the best guys fighting the best guys, not the best personalities in terms of followings fighting for the other popular guy. I, I don't even know what the hell that is. Like, yeah, Pete Young could fight. Yeah, Jose Aldo could fight. But based on their resumes, I don't think Jose Aldo is the guy that should be in there right now. It should have been Pete Young and myself or myself and Corey Sanhagen that should have been fighting for the title. Tell me about Sandhagen. He's such a well-rounded guy. He's good just about everywhere. And, and, of course, we can say the same for you. But this is a very interesting challenge for you. Uh, how do you solve a puzzle like this guy? Uh, solve a puzzle? I, I mean, he's got some holes. He's definitely a tough dude, well-rounded. I think I do some things a little bit better than he does. I know he's saying the same exact thing about me, which is, always fascinating when I fight guys and it's always like that. Like, well, he can wrestle and I can do this too and striking and I always get underestimated in my skill sets and I think it's different when you step in there with me and then you can kind of get that real feel of what it's like um, to be in the octagon with me and um, get a better assessment of my skills and abilities. And I get better every time I step in there. So uh, I'm not really, I'm concerned. Obviously, you got to be concerned. Um, the last time I wasn't concerned, it wasn't a good night for me against Marlon. And, um, you know, I, I made sure we left no stones unturned. And I'm excited for this, man. You know, I've got to get the weight down and go out there and put on a performance of a lifetime once again and fought, and try to one-up that performance against Pedro Munoz, who's another tough, tough dude, you know. So, you know, I'm fighting the best of the best, and I, I'm beating him pretty handily. And uh, Corey Sanhagen is going to be the same. I want to ask you about your thoughts on what's going on in America right now. Uh, obviously, with the the tragic murder of uh, of George Floyd, um, which was shown around the world on every news broadcast, you know, kids are seeing this. It's uh, obviously a very troubling time in uh, in America right now, uh, and, and even by extension in Canada, we have something going on here in Toronto, uh, where, where a, a similar incident uh, has allegedly occurred. I'm curious what your your thoughts are on on the climate right now, on um, having to see. A lot of people, for whatever reason, believe this is some sort of polarizing issue. But uh, to me, it's not right versus left. It's right versus wrong. Um, what, what are your thoughts on how everything is uh, is taking place right now in America? Uh, it's scary times, man. These are troubling times for sure. And, you know, I got a whole lot to say on this. Um, I think two rights don't make a wrong. That's first, I think, which has to be said. Um and definitely, I'm not overvaluing property and destruction of looting and taking surfboards and things like that over the value of someone's life countless, countless times um, happening over and over again from the, the police department of people who that we pay and put into power. And they're supposed to, they they sworn to protect and serve, not to hurt 
and and cause fear among the people, you know. And I think that's just, that's the issue. It's um, the lack of training, um, putting people in demographics that they have no idea how to handle and wondering why people are so nervous going into these neighborhoods and they're so trigger happy and they're mishandling people. And I, my, my thing is, it's a simple solution. It's treat people how you would want to be treated. If I did that to your little brother, your son, your mom, your dad, how would you feel and what would you do after that? You know, do you expect people to be kind of like, oh, well, you killed my brother, you killed my son and just kind of brush it under the rug and forget about it. This has happened multiple times. And it's interesting because people always go to statistics and stats on, well, you guys kill each other more than more than cops kill you guys. I'm like, that's not that's not the fucking point. And, and that's what gets me so riled up about it, because it's we're talking law enforcement, people that come to protect you. And if you don't trust the law enforcement, how do you expect people to want to treat you the right way when you come into their neighborhood? People are scared. They're on edge. And you see time and time again, people get pulled over. Um, a guy tells the cop that he has a, a licensed firearm in the car. He doesn't do anything. The cop just unloads rounds in him. And you don't see any type of, like, repercussions for that. I, I don't know. It's, it's a sad thing. And for people to kind of to, to try to justify and, like, all lives matter. Yes, all lives do matter. But if, uh, if you go to a community and one house is burning, yeah, all the houses matter, but guess what? That one burning house is the one that matters the most. And that was an analogy I picked up from TJ Lavin hanging out with him this, this fight week. And uh, it made it was the proper best way that I could think of it. That one house needs the attention of the fire department to go in and save the house so that it doesn't catch fire and burn down the rest of the community. So in this situation, yes, all lives do matter, but the ones that are troubled and having multiple issues time and time again is the black lives, the black and brown community, and just minorities in general, you know. So, like I said, I, I think people need to step back and and, and uh, try to figure out a, a, some type of solution. I don't think looting and destroying property and vandalizing property is the way to do it. So let me be clear on that. But I don't think you can compare that at all to human life, something that cannot be replaced or ever filled or restored, you know. So... For people that are trying to use that as an argument, it's sad to see because it's like, yo, you're so far lost that you don't even understand. You're drinking your own Kool-Aid, and you can't empathize and put yourself in someone else's shoes to, to see how someone else grew up and their experiences with the law and other things and what makes them different. But at the same time, we all have the same beating muscle in our left chest. It's a heart. You know, we all, we all do the same things. We all put our shoes on the same way and... You know, we're all just people, man. And I, I just wish that the kids of today, when they have their kids, they, they encourage and they teach their children that everyone is the same and no one race or color because you're a lighter skin that makes you a better person from the next individual, your counterpart, who can do the same exact things and has the same exact knowledge that you possess and it has the same capabilities and the same ceiling. We're, we're all the same people. We're not better than anybody. Even for myself, I have people that look at me like I'm a celebrity. Yeah, it might be like that to a bunch of people, but in my mind, I don't treat anyone different from the next person. That's just how I was raised, and I just wish people would kind of get a clue and realize, like, wake up, man. This has been going on for way too long, decades. 
People always say slavery was something from years, hundreds of years ago. I'm like, dude, do your research, man. You live under a rock. And if it wasn't for me in the position that I'm in, I've had countless altercations with, with cops. And the good thing is because I am a UFC fighter and of status quo, I always get a, a little bit more of a slap on the wrist. But before this, I tell you what, man, I didn't have a lot of pleasant uh, experience and interactions with the cops. And I, and I was never one of those guys who mouth off and, and people say, oh, you should just not resist. I see people not resisting, but they're asking questions and the cops just feel entitled to, to not want to answer anything and feel they could just do whatever. And again, not all cops are bad and not all people are bad. And I just think it comes down to your interaction, your experiences. And another thing that I was, I was talking about with some other guys was the whole thing with like the cop quarters. And it was fascinating because Joe Rogan brought this up on his interview, on his podcast. I forget which uh, episode it was. And he said, so if we have everyone in the world for a month just agree not to do any stupid shit and just be good civilians, law-abiding citizens for a month, what would happen? And the guy said, police officers would lose their jobs. So when you start putting those type of situations over people said that, that you've got to meet a certain requirement. Now you're going to start getting these cops who feel entitled, not entitled, but more inclined to having to pull somebody over for, for no reason and having to write up DWIs because someone went and had one drink. These, these type of things make no sense. And you have to look at it like, well, what's the, what's the motive behind it? Is it a money grab? Is this real law that we're, tr are we really protecting people here? Or is this all about the money and a whole bunch of other hidden agendas that people have to step back in order to see. So that's, that's, that's where I sit with this whole shit, man. I just hope that the world can come together and uh, some real change can happen. But it, it has to start with the conversation. Uh, then it goes with law enforcement. It has to do with the training. It has to do with the experience levels of, of everyone and making sure people are culturally diverse and not just someone who grew up in the, the Malibu and you throw them in the hood of Brooklyn. You know, that shit doesn't make any type of sense. You, you, you wonder why. That cop is has his hand, you know, clutching at the at the uh, at his hip because he doesn't know what's going to happen, you know, and vice versa. You know, we feel the same on the other side of the spectrum. We don't know what's going to happen. Well, you you made an excellent point, uh, Aljo, and you know the the all lives matter argument. I think is is a ludicrous argument because nobody's arguing that all lives don't matter. What what people are saying is that from what we've seen with the evidence, time and time again. A, a certain demographic in America are treated like their lives matter less than the rest of the population. And there's evidence to support this, and everybody needs to have an acknowledgement that this is the case. And that's why Black Lives Matter is important, and, and more important than all of these people saying all lives matter. Nobody's arguing otherwise, but what we're arguing is that people need to start looking at all lives as if they matter equally, and that's why the Black Lives Matter movement is very, very important. I agree. I, I truly do agree. It's like, you, how are you making a protest to my fucking protest? I don't understand that shit. Like, you, you can, you, and then when you try to protest peacefully, then you don't get heard because you got these guys protest. How are you protesting someone's protest? That makes no sense. But I don't know, man. Like I said, people live under a rock and they're secluded and they live in their little bubble of their world and they don't understand how the world operates on different spectrums for other people. You know, you, just because you're from your community doesn't mean the way you grew up is the same as the next person who comes over from India, who comes over from Pakistan, who comes over from Jamaica, who comes over from, from Haiti, who comes over from Cuba. You know, we're all different, you know, and everyone has their own experiences. And 
we're all people at the end of the day. Yeah, we've absolutely got to value each other uh, as a community, a global community. And uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Aljo. Really appreciate this. Best of luck against Corey Sanhagen this weekend. Thank you. I'm good, man. That's good, good. All right, let's get started. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I'm now joined by Corey Sanhagen. He's going to be facing Aljamain Sterling. It's UFC 250 this Saturday from the UFC Apex. Have you ever fought in front of an empty arena before? Nope, never before. This is going to be the first time for me. What's the, what's the lowest, I guess, attendance that you've ever fought in front of? Oh, uh, good question. Uh, I mean, when you fight in the UFC, uh, for like your, usually for your debut fight, you're on the pre-prelims, which means you're not having a lot of fans there at 4 o'clock. Um, so it's probably, I don't know, I, it, my debut felt like there there wasn't a lot of people there. It almost felt pretty empty for my debut. <laughs> well, I'm talking more regional scene. Like, did you ever fight like a community center or anything like that? Oh, I mean, I, I've had a bunch of like, yeah, I mean, every fighter probably has their story of like some interesting show that they've fought on that uh, uh, is pretty low level as far as professionalism goes. But I mean, I fought, I fought in a, uh, in a Muay Thai smoker that was, or a Muay Thai fight that was pretty much in someone's garage. All right, well, this, this might have a bit more of a professional feel than that, but you're still going to have very few people in attendance. It's uh, probably an interesting situation, but, of course, every fighter is dealing with it right now. Um, I uh, just spoke to Aljamain Sterling a little bit uh, earlier on. I wanted to ask you something that I asked him, which is about Henry Cejudo. He's walking away from the sport. Uh, the Bantamweight Championship is vacant, and I'm sure you're getting this question a lot, but are you surprised it wasn't yourself and Aljo fighting for the title, uh, given that there's only one title fight on this particular card, and it probably could have used another? Mm, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the stars could have lined up really good like that. It's a bummer that they didn't. Uh, it, it would have been a, a great, I mean, it would have been a perfect scenario uh, had the UFC done that, in my opinion. But, uh, I mean, that to me, that was a little bit of a long shot anyways. Man, I, I know where I kind of stand with everything. I know I'm not like a huge name right now in, in the sport, and that, that's okay with me. And one day I'll be on the green side of the graph and, and I'll be the one who, who uh, gets main events and, and gets, uh, gets kind of favors taken for him for, for, or I get taken where the UFC is going to give me a little bit more favors but, but maybe right now that's not where I am and that's okay but, but I'll be there one day so I'm not stressing. Were you surprised the two lower ranked guys in your division? You got uh, Rafael Asuncao and uh, Cody Garbrandt. They're the co-main event and you guys are just on the main card? Yeah, obviously that's um, a little bit weird, uh, but yeah, man, same thing. I, I know that Garbrandt brings in a, a lot more viewers than what I bring in, and that's that's the state of where I'm at right now, and, and that's just how it is. You know, one day it's not going to be like that, and uh, that's that's okay with me. You know, you kind of gotta. I, I don't want any. I don't want to be the guy that kind of just feels like I, des I deserve a bunch of stuff and blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, I'll, I'll get stuff just through time and through through keep fighting well, and, and that's what I kind of bank on. Well, what are you going to do to do that? I mean, it's it's kind of a weird question, but you're, you're looking at the marketing side of things and, and how important that is. You're doing your job. You're undefeated. You're beating uh, people in exciting fights. Um, what more is there to do to get yourself to that next echelon in terms of marketability? 
Good question, man. And and I wonder if there's even anything that I can do. Like, let's take someone like George Monsbadal right now, who's maybe one of the most popular guys in the sport of MMA right now, uh, to the point of where he might even get a title shot against Kamaru Usman, um, where it's like, how many people knew of Jorge Monsbadal before his his big win against Askren and then uh, his Darren Till knockout? You know, like not not too many people, I would argue, knew knew him. You know, they knew that he was good, but they didn't know who he really was. And now he's a superstar. So, uh, I just need things like that to happen. You know, and that kind of happens in time, and it happens with like just more cameras being on me uh, outside of outside of fighting, and, and it happens when when I start to get really good finishes because they're bound to happen. You know, like as long as I just keep getting better, like. The knockouts and the finishes and all of that stuff, that, that stuff will happen for me. It's just a matter of when, when it decides to. So, the, I mean, I don't try to force anything. I don't try to make things happen inorganically. Uh, when, I, when I see opportunities, I try to seize them. And, and uh, that's kind of the, the way that I, I, I look at the marketing side of things. So Aljo should watch out for the flying knee to open the fight within, so you can try to beat him within four or five seconds. <laughs> Don't tell him. Don't tell him. <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure that this this interview doesn't doesn't uh, see the light of day. We'll just keep this between us. Um, <laughs> so uh, right now the bantamweight division. I mean, the bantamweight division has been a very frustrating division. I think for a lot of people. I don't know if you're in that mix because your um, ascent is is more recent than a lot of these others, uh, like Aljo, for example. Um, but even looking at the title picture, you have the number one guy, Marlon Moraes. He beats Aldo. Aldo ends up being number six. Moraes is booked to face Peter Jan. And now has Peter Jan pulled from him so he can face the guy that he just beat for the title. Um, I imagine that's a frustrating situation for Marlon Moraes. But what do you think of it personally, if, you, if you're able to even follow that? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad. If I was in Marlon's shoes, I'd feel pretty bad. I, I, saw, I saw that he called out Cruz, so hopefully he gets a fight like that or something. But... Um, I, I mean, yeah, he, he kind of feels like, I'm, or I'm sure that he feels like he's been kind of left in the dust a little bit with all the, all the match, matchings and stuff. But there's still guys to fight, you know, like, um, I mean, there's Cruz, Frankie and Pedro are fighting soon. If, if Frankie beats Pedro, then Frankie's another really big fight. So, uh, everyone wants to act like this is some like huge race, you know, and, uh, and it doesn't feel like a race to me. You know, I kind of bought into that a little bit in the beginning where it was like, oh, I got to do this now. I got to make this happen now. I got to, you know, but uh, for me, it's like as long as I just keep winning, man, as long as I keep fighting and I keep winning, that, that that's all that I can really do. Absolutely. Um, you've spoken out about uh, different social issues in the past. You spoke out about uh, paper towel and how you think that the, the people are using too much, too many paper products. Uh, obviously, we've got a bit of a deeper issue from a societal standpoint right now uh, with the murder of George Floyd and, and how the country's reacted to that. Um, what, have, what have been your thoughts in, in recent days when you see um, how things have changed, I guess, over the, the course of the last week, uh, at least from a, pro a protest standpoint and a, a social action standpoint uh, in America? Yeah, I mean, uh, the I can't. I, I feel like I can't even open up my phone without kind of getting sad about something, you know. Um, and and what happened was was just like a really really sad thing that happened. Um, and uh, and it does happen, and it's and it's ridiculous to me that we're everyone isn't on the same page as far as like everyone's an equal person. Uh, that seems to me like something that should be like a fundamental 
thing, but but it's not. And uh, without diving too deep into the the factors that I think influence a lot of the prejudices that that we all kind of are programmed to to have in our minds. Um, it's just sad, man. Like the suffering of the world, for whatever reason, especially for me, I feel like it, it impacts my energy a lot, a lot. Um, and it's sad. And I mean, all that I can really comment on is I think that people need to look inside themselves and be a little bit more self-aware about how they feel um, about one certain topics, but also different types of people because uh, th- there won't be peace unless we kind of look into ourselves and understand that our values don't lie and anything else other than kind of like the amount of hate that we turn into love and uh and and that's what, that to me is the solution to something like this. Does that happen overnight? No. Is there an easy solution? No. Um, but I mean, the world definitely just needs more love. And I feel like I myself try to, uh, while I'm not perfect, try to live in that world of um, not just focused on myself. And uh, I think that if we did that a little bit more, then things might get better. That's a really difficult thing to do right now, uh, of course. Uh, you've got a fight that you need to focus on, and you mentioned that um, it takes away from your energy to, to watch such sadness in the world, but it probably is also difficult for you to, to, to not look at it and to, to ignore it because you know that that's probably, uh, just from a personal standpoint, not, not what you're about. Um, how are you navigating through no. that? I just had, uh, to be honest with you, man, I'm just, it zaps me and my energy so much, man, that I can't even look at stuff, you know? Like, I, I, I've i been, I'm just not looking at my social media. I'm kind of just staying in my own little world for now. And uh, and, and um, the sadness is, uh, if I focus too much on it, it's just going to create more sadness right now. And it's, it's not a problem that gets fixed overnight. And, uh, and I mean, it bothers me, but I, I mean, I can just keep dwelling on it and, and be sad and have it zap me on my energy or I, or I can use the energy to, to kind of hopefully uh, sway some goodness. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Um, and when you're with your coaches, I'm sure that, that you guys probably have a more, you know, at least a more uh, a dialogue about it that's more productive than what we see online. Um. Yeah, I, I suppose it depends where you're looking online, but um, yeah, yeah, man, it's just it's a it's a tough situation, man. Like uh, there, there's almost it's a, it's too much to even think about all of the layers of something that goes into something as as uh, deep as prejudice, and uh, and even even if we pass and and go even to kind of the source of it, which is fear, like. There's just a lot to talk about with fear, you know, like being scared of other people, being scared of your own dreams, being scared of a bunch of stuff. It, it, it kind of kills the soul. And um, I mean, I have my own ways of kind of counteracting that. But uh, as far as a solution for everyone, I, I don't really, you know, I, I wish I had one, but I don't. And that's kind of a, a crummy feeling. Yeah, we've spoken about this in the past about um, how fear can impact uh, people, you know, in their day to day, and how how you've worked to navigate through that. So um, I always appreciate how open you are uh, with me about these these uh, subjects. They're not easy subjects to discuss. Um, and I know Elliot Marshall, your coach, is very open about this kind of thing, also. And uh, he does a great podcast. 
where, where he discusses all kinds of different things and, and his own feelings. And um, I think that it's very important and very um, influential for, for people that are in a, you know, an occupation where, where you guys are viewed as, as being so tough and, and so durable uh, that, that you talk about human vulnerability, because I think that that helps a lot of people. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I really appreciate when you asked me about it because it's it's uh, one of my more favorite topics to talk about. All right, Corey. Well, uh, best of luck this weekend. It's always great speaking with you and great catching up with you. It's uh, yourself. It's Aljamain Sterling, UFC 250 this weekend from the UFC Apex. It's uh, available on pay-per-view. Yep. All right, right on, Aaron. I'll talk to you next time, man. And I'm now joined by Cody Garbrandt. He's going to be facing Rafael Asuncao. It was the co-main event of UFC 250. Uh, my first question for you, Cody, is are you, are you surprised that you were in the co-main event when uh, you have Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sanhagen on the same card? Um, obviously, that says a lot about your marketability in the sport. Yeah, I'm the, no, I'm not surprised by that. You know, I'm the most marketable. I'm the former champion. Those guys have never fought for a world title, never been a world champion. So, yeah, I mean, they, you know, it doesn't matter if I fight first, second, third, fourth. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, they gave me the co-main event slot. Cool. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. The pay is the same. You know what I mean? Um, but, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised. That, you know, I'm, I'm the, one of the most, you know, you know, bantamweight guys, you know, even coming off three losses. Um, everyone still wants to watch me fight and knows that I can, you know, what I can do and I know what I can do. So um, I'm happy to be in the co-main event spot, but dude, I'd rather fight first and get it out of the way. Enjoy the rest of the night, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've always said people make a little bit too much of the uh, the card placement. It doesn't mean much to the fighters unless they're going to oh, get cut yeah. of the pay-per-view anyhow. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, dude, they want to bitch and cry about all oh, co-main. Co first of all, you guys are remarkable. You guys have never been former champions, never been a world champion, never fought for a world title. So what are you guys bitching about? You know what I mean? Like, who gives a shit? Like, <laughs> it's, I'm not getting paid anymore. I would rather fight first. I Put me on the first fight. You know, put me on ESPN where everyone can watch that shit for free. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think that's a better slot. I think the main event of the prelims is the most desirable, uh, most desirable spot on the card outside of a main event. Definitely, definitely. Um, what were your thoughts on Henry Zahudo uh, deciding to retire from the sport? You know, he had that uh, title defense against Dominic Cruz. Um, I mean, one could say that you, you kind of warmed Dominic Cruz up uh, for that loss. Uh, tell me about what you thought yeah. about him walking away. I just believe it's a big hoax, man. I believe he's one, you know, it's a, a bigger contract. He's not, you don't walk off like that, you know. And if, he, and if it is true, good for him, man. Good, good for him, you know, but... It doesn't matter. My destiny is my destiny, and I focus on what I can control, and that's me getting back to the, the title contentions and, and becoming a world champion. I recently rewatched your fight with Cruz, and it, it really is a true masterpiece. Do you go back and watch that fight very often? No, I see like highlights and, and stuff of it, but right, you know, the past of the past for me, win, lose, or lot, draw, you know. But uh, you know, I was the one that was single-handedly able to do something that no one's ever done before, you know, so, and have the greatest performance and, you know, a title fight and in, in the UFC. So, I mean, I, I hold on to that. I know that I'll get back to that, you know, just get back to myself and my love and passion is still for the, for the sport. And I feel like it's, I'm more motivated and driven than I've ever been. So I'm just excited to have that hunger back and excited that it's fight week. I'm fighting in three days and I'm fighting a good adversary and, um, and, and Rafael Sunsau. 
you decided to make a bit of a change for this camp. Not really a change, but an alteration. You also um, added Mark Henry into the mix. You, you did some uh, work in New Jersey uh, before coming back to Sacramento to finish uh, off the last eight weeks there. Um, tell me about Coach Henry's involvement, uh, both when you were in New Jersey and then when you had to go back to uh, Sacramento uh, post-COVID-19. Yeah, you know, it was great. I needed to get out of my comfort zone. Um, you know, me and Coach Henry talks um, throughout the years about training together and you know, obviously his stable of fighters that he's worked with, you know, um, you know, Frankie Edgar to, to name, to name one, um, these guys, you know, it's been great. You know, it's really, it got me out of my comfort zone. I went up there, you know, and just, and just grinded, you know, with, we work with coach Mark, you know, it's, it's been great. He brings a different, um, kind of, um, element to the game, you know, as a head coach and just like, you know, organized everything for me. And then he works so good with my coaches, Chris Holdsworth, Mike Malat, um, out of Team Alpha. So it's, it's, it's really came together really well this week. And, you know, we've just been game planning, going over, you know, our codes and things that we're, you know, getting ready to do for uh, a fight night. I know you don't like to reflect on the past, but with the, the bout with TJ Dillashaw, knowing what we know now, does that leave a bad taste in your mouth that you got in there with somebody who may have been compromised? Yeah, no, not at all, man, because... Um, that's something that TJ has to live with. He's going to have that um, with the rest of his life, you know, knowing that he's, you know, was a cheater, always a cheater. And uh, I always said that, man. Like, I always said that, you know, the truth would always come out, man. And that, it always does, you know. It wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't my time, you know, for that, you know. And I, I know for, for a fact, you know, that he, he was definitely on aided supplements um, during the time that we, both times that we fought. You just don't jump on EPO as a blue to to fight it, that's something that you've, you 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 test your body with you just don't jump into one of your biggest fights ever to get on to get on epo and whatever else he was on and you know it's 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 sad because there's so many people that looked up to him and you know as a champion and little kids and like he's he's he's, he's fake he's he's you know that's that's low confidence on him to have to take those kind of things to be able to compete in a fight and, and we'll see you know when he comes back from his he got another year of suspension so uh, when he comes back, we'll see uh, see how well he is, and uh, he he won't be the same fighter that he's he was he was at all. I can I can tell you that. But it doesn't for me, man. I'm like, at first I was you know a little upset about it and, and whatever you know still stole millions off of me and, and and titles and and whatever. But my time is coming, man. Like I I truly believe like everything happens for for a reason in my life. I won the title at 25 years old. I lost it, you know young i'm still having hit my prime i'm still growing as an athlete growing as a fighter and you know dude, i'm just i'm excited just to have these next you know five to ten years however long i decide to fight uh you know to have those learning lessons for me do you feel like you fought too emotionally in the past and the reason i ask that is because you're a tough guy i mean you you thrive on being a tough guy you were destroying guys in the first round when you came into the ufc and you got into these you got into some firefights in recent fights that uh, I'm wondering if Mark Henry has talked to you about that, and if if you've decided to change um, some of your approach for this particular fight. Yeah, you know, coach, my, coach Mark, and my other coaches talked about that to me. You know, for me, it was just like I didn't really, I didn't really care. I didn't have any care for for fighting, for love for fighting, sweating there and, and fought. You know, like I'm always going to go in there and fight. But you know, now my passion, I have, you know. I want to be in there. I want to fight. I want to, you know, reclaim my my title. Uh, it was just a lot of stuff added up into, you know, I think where I was at in my personal life, professional life, 
and just you know obviously dealing with the injuries you know it was that was a lot to overcome but hey man like i said i i learned so much you know i have my whole entire life i always had to learn the hard way and uh this is no other no other learning lesson for me just learn the hard way and keep moving forward what reignited the flame what reignited your love for fighting Man, I just every time that I try to walk away from fighting, it's always there. It always pulls me back. It always, you know, keeps a hold of me. And, and truly knowing, you know, throughout my timeline, my life, when I would try to walk away from fighting, I needed more, I needed fighting more than fighting needed me. You know, I I have purpose in life, and my purpose is to, to become the best in the world. And, you know, and that gives me you know goals, and and it keeps me focused and driven and you know, on a constant, you know, regimen of what I'm doing and to obtain those goals. So um, for me, it's just about having those, you know, those goals to reach and, and, and working towards them every day. And uh, and how has fatherhood uh, helped get you into that direction? I mean, your, your son Kai is a, a very cute kid, and I, I know that you uh, you love being a father. Um, has that played a role in, in refocusing your energies? I would definitely say it was... Um, has definitely refocused my energy for like first you know it, it was a lot you know to go through pregnancy and move my wife out to you know living together to having a child together and going to to defend the title to you know to fight for a title it was all about learning experience you know like you know to to be parents to to balance life career training family time I didn't want to miss anything you know what I mean I didn't have a father in my life so I didn't want to miss any like uh, like I didn't want to miss anything in my son's life, you know, at an early stage at any time, you know. And so I was always constantly wanting to be there and just to find that balance of, you know, of here's my career, here's what I need to do, here's my family life. So it was a, it was a little bit of a um, a working, you know, progress for sure. And I feel like I have it dialed in to where, you know, I, I have to you know, make these sacrifices like we went to Jersey and going away for two months and missed his second birthday and, you know, all these things, these are sacrifices that I have to do to be able to provide for them and give him the best life, the best start that I can um, for his life and give him things that I wasn't able to have that my mom worked so hard to do and just instill those values in him, you know, just to see, you know, you know, and when I'm looking back when he gets older, like, okay, your dad went from world champion to a three-fight skid and, you know, I... I want to show him, like, never to give up. Just keep going, you know, no matter where you're at in life. Like, you can be on top of the world one day and the bottom of the next. You guys got to keep, you know, just just head 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 high and just keep going going for it. You know, the life's always going to keep you on your toes and throw curveballs and knock you down and can't want to keep you there. You just got to keep getting up and, and marching forward because, um, you know, no one cares. <laughs> no one cares, you know. No one cares about what, what happened yesterday or the excuses that you have in your mind or the excuses that you think you have, or the reason why life isn't fair, life's not fair. He's got he's to go with the punches. Well, I can tell you've got a real sense of clarity heading into this fight, and uh, I appreciate your time. It's the co-main event, UFC 250, yourself, Rafael Asuncao, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I'm pleased to be joined now by Sean O'Malley. Sean, last time we spoke, I was standing next to you. I shook your hand. It was like three months ago, and it seems like an eternity ago since you last fought in the Octagon. How have the last three months treated you? 
Yeah, um, it, for me, it feels like it was just last weekend. It feels, you know, nothing, we got right back into camp, basically, just kind of, you know, nothing felt different. So it feels good to be able to get back in there so fast. Well, I mean, uh, it's interesting that nothing fe- uh, feels different for you. The entire world basically changed. It flipped on a dime like a week later. Yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't watch the news or pay attention to the news really or any of that. So, so I didn't, I, I didn't even know there was riots and stuff going on until literally like two days ago when we were at the hotel and my buddy Tim and Jay were watching the news and I was like, what the? I, did, I had no idea any of that was going on. So, how are you able to filter out all of that? Like basically the entire news cycle. I just don't follow. I mean, I don't watch the news and I don't follow it really any news stuff. But I'm it just kind of I don't know. It happened. <laughs> does it just like uh, does does the news, you know, disrupt your energy or anything along those lines? Yeah, I just I guess I'm just more focused on you know you only have so much energy to focus on throughout the day, and I just I got I got a handful of stuff that I'm focused on, and the news wasn't really and any of it. So when you're outside of training, what are what are you spending most of your time on? Um. You know, you train probably twice a day. That takes up a good, you know, a good portion with with uh, you know the warm up, the actual session, the cool down, the drive into the gym. Um, and then it was it at night, just you know, watching watching a Netflix show or doing that stuff. And I don't know, just not not a whole lot. Not watching the news, that's for sure. I watched uh, your Twitch channel, and the first thing that crossed my mind as a 38-year-old was, God damn, I'm old. seems like you've got a real following there. Everybody is speaking in kind of uh, language that I don't fully understand, but it seems like you've got a really strong following there. That's where you announced that you were going to be facing Eddie Wineland at, uh, at this event, UFC 250. Yeah, that's, that's actually probably where I spend. You know, I, I play a couple hours a day, usually, hour and a half, two hours a day, um, streaming with, with them. So that keeps me, keeps me busy throughout the day. Uh, yeah, that's, that's something I really, really enjoy throughout the day is streaming with the Twitch fam. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's nice in camp too. It's, it's something I look forward to do. Uh, I usually do it after I'm done training. So, but yeah, that, that's fun. Absolutely. So, um, when, when you're doing that, have you learned the names of some of these people? Like, have you, have you developed any sort of relationships with, uh, with some of your fans that you know personally now? Yeah, a bunch actually. I uh, I flew one of them. One of the my my friends from I met him on Xbox. Named Nick Nick Lejeune. He lives in Canada, and uh, I flew him down to Phoenix. He stayed with me for a couple nights, and I actually sparred him. Uh, it was uh, we made a video on it on my YouTube. It's me fighting my Twitch subscriber. Um, I've had a couple couple different Twitch subscribers stay at my like come down, stay at my house, game with me. Um, and a lot of them, I follow. I'll follow them on Instagram, get to know them a little bit, and it's it's pretty fun. Hold on. So so, how does that come to be? Like, how does it come from? He's he's following you on Twitch now, and then you end up calling him and saying, "I'm going to fly you out," and then you guys hang out together. Like that must be a dream come true for somebody who follows your career. Yeah, I don't. It was a couple of years ago. I don't really remember how it came about, but we when we play Xbox every single day, you know, it's, you get to know someone. It's, I follow them on social media. I get to kind of know their personality, and uh, you know they're huge fans of the UFC, and, and it it just worked out. I felt like, you know, I'm like, oh, this kid's pretty cool, and and it worked out good. Like, do you have a group of like OG followers that you that you know from you know following you very early on in your career? 
Yeah, like the OG followers that I've been streaming for, I think the longest I have is like 27 or 28 month subscribers that subscribe every single month. And I probably got a handful of them, five or six. And um, and then there's a lot of people that have, you know, 24, two years subscribed. Like there's, there's a handful of them. Well, we should probably get to talking about your fight. It's Eddie Wineland. It's this Saturday. Uh, Eddie is a, a wily, wily veteran. He's been in the game for a long time, and a lot of people are saying this is uh, this is the toughest test of your career. I'm guessing that you embrace that. You want to show that you're facing uh, more and more difficult opponents. Yeah, for sure. I thought this was a perfect next step up in competition. Um, like you say, he's a vet, and it's going to be a it's a perfect matchup for me. How old were you when he had his first fight? His first professional I know, I fight. To, uh, I think I was listening to Dan Hardy, and he said I was I was nine years old when when he had his first pro fight. His math is bad. You were eight, but but I'll give it to Dan. You know, Dan's Dan's a, a veteran, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll let him have it. Yeah, that's pretty crazy that he's been in the game for that long. Did you did you watch the WEC at all? I did. I did not. I didn't really start watching the UFC until about eighteen, nineteen. So, so how I started did, training kickboxing and stuff before I even started watching fighting. How did that come about? You know, a lot of the people that start training that are, you know, a younger age like yourself, they watch the UFC, they really want to do it for a living, and then or, or a career they get interested in, and then they start. How did you get into kickboxing before even, I guess, watching uh, combat sports? I played, I played basketball, football, soccer, baseball. I played all those sports. Then once I got into high school, you know, you had to try out, get on the team, and you had to have good grades. I definitely didn't have good grades. I couldn't make the team, and uh, I was super athletic. And I wanted to play sports, and I and my buddy just asked me to want to go check out check out a fighting gym, and I was like, hell yeah, that sounds sweet. Went and checked it out, just literally never stopped training. And this was in Montana. Yeah, that was Montana. I was I was 16 years old. Wow. So so you've uh, you've been training for about what nine years now? Yeah, I'm 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 about to hit my 10 years here here soon, probably. How much do you think you grow from fight to fight? I mean, uh, you hadn't fought for over two years. During that amount of time, like how much how much more growth do you have? And, and do you feel like um, as you get older, you're able to retain even more information um, now that you're in it and you're, you're actually testing yourself against world-class competition? Yeah, I, I, when I said I was a sugar show 2.0, I, I literally felt like in those two years I got twice as good as I was. And that's what made, that's where this confidence comes from is how how much better I, I am, how much more I improved and how much, you know, I always knew I was good, but those, those two years I really just focused on my jujitsu and, and my grappling. Um, cause that's where I was going to get beat. If someone took me down and held me down, that's where I was going to lose. Um, but now I just don't feel like that's the case. I feel like I can, I can submit people off my back. I can win fights off my back or get up even. So I, I really improved a lot in those two years and I feel like I really improved a lot, literally from that last fight. I didn't. That next Monday, I was back in the gym. We were grappling, going live goes, and I'm training with guys like Augusto Mendez, who won ADCC last year. So it's, I'm getting really, really high level knowledge. You're currently unranked. Um, how, how soon do you think it'll be before you start facing some of the upper echelon of that division? Yeah, probably after this fight. The rankings. I mean, you got Jose Aldo. 0-1, ranked number six in the bantamweight division. So that kind of says it all right there. I don't think about the rankings. I don't, you know, they don't really matter. It doesn't make sense. You got Aljo and Corey not fighting for for a title, and they're both, you know, ranked high enough, and the, the belt's not even there. So the rankings don't 
don't really matter too much, um, especially when you have a big following and people want to see you fight bigger names and be the champ. It's going to happen. Well, that leads me to my next question because I spoke to Corey earlier today, and he was saying he understood why Garbrandt was in the co-main because he's got he's got more name value. He understands why they gave Aldo the title shot because Aldo's got more name value, and he he he's trying to figure out how to become a more marketable fighter. He, you know, he says you know as long as I put in the work and I win, that's going to be good enough. Hopefully, but at the same time, you've developed a massive following, uh, not only within the sport, but even outside of the sport with, with your, you know, your, your Twitch channel. Um, do you think that that will fast-track you to the, to the bigger fights in the division to, and get you into title contention faster than those who, I guess, don't have that kind of a following? I think so, I, but, but the thing is I have that high-level skills, too. It's, it's not just the following. It's the performances I had. Are, that I'm going to continue to have. So it's not like I'm going to go out there and lose to Eddie and then fight someone better. It's, I'm going to go out there and beat Eddie in a, in a spectacular fashion and then fight the next, you know, the next, whoever I fight next is going to be better than Eddie and just going to slowly, you know, build up like that. But yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird time we live in. I feel like I have the skills and that's truly what's more important than the following as far as getting pushed. It's like having those skills, but the following is a huge, a huge part of it too. Yeah, I think you you showed a lot of those skills against Quinones, and uh, I expect to see even more growth against Wineland. I, I watched you at Quintet before you you had come back to the UFC, and I said this this guy's going to be a problem because your grappling looked like it, it had elevated by you know a, a whole other level during your right. time away. Yeah, it was nice to be able to go and show that, and and for even mentally, it was nice to be able to go. You know, I knew I was like, damn, I'm training with good people and I'm doing really good. But to go out there and be able to perform in a straight grappling match and submit Takanori Gomi and go eight minutes with Gilbert Melendez, um, it really kind of proved. It, it showed me what I already knew. Like my my grappling is getting really good. You don't accidentally you can accidentally knock someone out. There's always a puncher's chance, but um, you're grappling. You're not going to accidentally submit someone. So it was nice to be able to prove to myself and and, and show I have legitimate ground skills. All right, Sean, well, it's a pleasure speaking with you, catching up with you, and uh, look forward to watching you. It's this weekend, Saturday, UFC 250 at the UFC Apex yourself versus uh, a savvy veteran in uh, Eddie Wineland. And we look forward to, uh, to seeing your continued growth in the sport. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.